If uh, you are visiting, my name's Jose. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor, and we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that you're here checking us out. Hope you enjoy the coffee, and boy, is this weather nice. Quite a change. Last Sunday, it was cloudy, but I did not think that we would have the week that we did. It's just one of those things that reminded me that we live in a broken world. This place, though, is a refuge. This place should be a safe place. As you drove in, I know you probably didn't think that as you saw the fallen limbs here on our property. Someone was like, oh, it's protected. No, we worked pretty hard to make sure that this was clear, but obviously there's more work to be done. But let me tell you what, we didn't clean up the church perfectly because we were busy being the church outside of these walls, which is what we talked about doing last week, right? The harvest is plentiful and who are few? It's the workers. And there's no better picture for that than now all of these fallen limbs. Maybe you didn't have any limbs fall at your place, but just drive a little bit through Wimberley and you will see that very, very few people were spared at all. It's time to go work. That's physical work, but there's also a spiritual work that we've been called to. And in this place, again, it's a refuge. We were praying before the gathering and, and just thinking about how great it is that we get to Spend time worshiping God, as Joel said earlier, reading his word and, and receiving the safety that we have, the refuge, the promises that we have in God before we go back into the chaos that is this world. All of that to say, it's good to be together. It's really, really good to be together. And if you need help, don't hesitate to ask. Again, I'm just so encouraged by the many that are sore this morning from all the chainsawing and the hauling, and, and uh, there, there's more work to be done, so let's get after it. We're going to start a new series this morning in the book of Romans. The book of Romans uh, is said, Martin Luther said this about this book. This epistle or letter is really the chief part of the New Testament. We can never read it or ponder over it too much for the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Uh, the author Tim Challey said, it's only a slight exaggeration to say that if you understand Paul's letter to the Romans, you understand the Bible. And theologian J.I. Packer said, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. It is a monster of a book in its depth as it explains the beauty and the richness that is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And we need it now more than ever because we need to be rooted. We need to be planted in God's truth. We've been talking about that in that build series. We, we want to be uh, we want to have uh, firm roots so when the winds and the storms may come, man, we, we can stand firm through it all. And there's no book in the Bible that does a better job looking at the message of Jesus than this book of Romans 16 chapters that we will look at. And I titled this series Unashamed because the more that we understand, the more that we know the gospel of Jesus, the more we will be transformed by the gospel, and the more we will live 
unashamed, unworried about what others may think, unapologetic about what we believe, and with this sense of confidence as to what God wants us to do in our lives and for our community, unashamed. It's what Paul was, uh, he was unashamed. The theme verse in the whole book is found in this first chapter. We're going to read it at the end, but we're going to start at, uh, we're going to start from the end here in the beginning from the verse 16 of chapter one of Romans says this, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to all, to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So he calls the gospel the power of God that can save all who believe. Believe in who? In Jesus. So Paul was unashamed. It's a pretty big deal that he was unashamed because he was actually a Pharisee. He was a teacher in this Jewish sect that was highly educated. He, he knew all of the 600 plus commandments of the Old Testament, the Torah. He, he was well educated and highly esteemed. And, and now he left that to become an apostle that brought the word of God, the promises of God to the entire Gentile world. That's anybody that wasn't a Jewish person. And so Paul was radically changed. And we see that as a result of him knowing God and being transformed by God, by the gospel, he was unashamed. Let me hit us with some context and then we'll start reading. So uh, written at the end of Paul's life around 57 AD, and the church in Rome was actually established by Jews first, probably in a synagogue, but then the emperor Claudius of Rome expelled the Jews, and, and so then it became a Gentile church. It became a church of non-Jews, and then the Jews came back about five years after being expelled, and they realized they, their church looked a little different. They, it was a multicultural church, and so there was tension in the church, and, and the, the point in Romans is to talk about this gospel message that unifies people that may be completely different under what God has done. So uh, the other thing that Paul is doing is he is actually establishing a missionary base because he wants to take the gospel to the West, all the way to Spain. So he is collecting, he's casting vision so that he can collect support so that the gospel message can continue to expand through the earth. Pretty cool stuff. Again, 16 chapters all about knowing and understanding what the gospel is and then seeing how it transforms our life. Let's talk about the gospel. If I were to ask you, not multiple choice, but short answer in one sentence, what is the gospel? What would you say? Don't say anything out loud. Just think about it. What is the gospel? If you're like me, then, then maybe you're like trying really hard to just get it right. Like there's only one right answer. You know, I just got to get it right. And, and in that pursuit of trying to get it right, sometimes we can overcomplicate it. And, and sometimes we, we can go a little too far and, and, and lose the simplicity, yet the power of the gospel. We got to know what it is and we got to be unashamed of what it is. Here is how I just define the gospel in one sentence. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to rescue and restore all of humanity through his life, death, and resurrection. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to rescue and restore all of humanity through his life, death, and resurrection. It's really just that. The followers 
of Jesus fall under the lordship of Christ. Everything that he was about, his life, death, and resurrection. We are followers. We're not creating some new thing. And, and when we know the gospel, the deeper we know it, the deeper it transforms us, the more unashamed we are. What are we unashamed about? Some of us are unashamed Texas A&M Aggies. There they are. I knew it. I knew it. As soon as I needed to say that, and then there was going to be a response. Thank you for not letting me down. Others of us, UT Longhorns. We're on it. See, more shame there. There's more shame there. Maybe for some good reasons, right? But we won't talk about those right now. We won't talk about those right now. Uh, others of us are, are unashamed in our, you know, Cowboys fans and, and whatever you're, we wear the jerseys, we wear the caps. Look, I am an unashamed owner of an electric chainsaw, battery powered. No shame. I can proclaim it openly and still be secure in who I am. We, we have these things that we are unashamed about. And, and when we're unashamed about something, it, it brings us confidence, it, it, it frees us, it, it grounds us, it, it keeps us from, you know, wavering back. Oh, am I? I don't know. It keeps us from people pleasing. We, we know when we're unashamed about it, we, we wear it loud and proud. And, and sometimes when we think about our faith, we're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Or we, we tend to like, you know, but I'm not that type of Christian, you know, and, and, and we try to cover it and justify it and explain it. Man, we're doing harm to what God wants to do here on earth when we do that. But see, that's not something that we just started doing recently. That's a root problem that goes back to the very beginning. See, when we were created, when Adam and Eve were created in the book of Genesis, it said that they were naked and unashamed. This is Genesis 2, 25. When was the last time that you felt that? Naked and unashamed. Maybe a while ago, we lost that. We lost that. Pretty soon after that was written, we started to get creative with God. We started to say, you know what, God? I'm not going to do life your way. I'm going to try to pretend to go about it my own way. And uh, just for proof, when we read that, sometimes not the best pictures come into our minds. It's because we're polluted by sin. We are broken people. That's what sin has done to us. We, we have been deceived into thinking that our way is the best Way. And so what do Adam and Eve do as soon as they eat of the tree? They try to cover their shame and, 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 and they try to cover their nakedness. And, and what was the first question that God gave to Adam and Eve? It wasn't, what have you done? Or, or how could you even think about eating from the one tree that I told you not to eat? Or why did you betray? I create, why did you do this to me? It wasn't any of that. His answer is, where are you? God, the creator, was looking for us right after we abandoned him. So we need to know from the get-go that shame is not from God. Shame is from the enemy. Conviction is different. Conviction is when we know we're not doing something we ought to do, and it's an opportunity for us to turn back to the God who is looking for you and for me, that's 
the beauty of the gospel. And the more that we are covered, not by our own coping mechanisms to try to cover up brokenness and hurt, but the more that we are covered by the blood that we just participated in, the more unashamed we will be. A stake in the ground, unashamed. Maybe uh, you remember the day that you were baptized. That's a stake in the ground moment. Let's talk to somebody about that this week. A stake in the ground moment when in front of people, we go underwater with clothes on and we come back out. That is not, uh, that's embarrassing on purpose because we deny ourselves. We, 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 we die to our own pride because Jesus died for us and, and we are washed and we come out of the water fully cleansed by his blood. It's a bold declaration of saying, I'm unashamed because he died for me. Where are you? Where are you with God? Where are you with your relationship with the gospel? Maybe it's, it's that first part. I just don't know enough. Or, or maybe it's that second part. Man, I can't seem to change. Or hopefully at the end of these 12 weeks, yes, 12 weeks that we will be in this book of Romans, my hope is that we will know the gospel deeper and we will be transformed by God. I want to look at these first 17 verses. That was just the intro. I'll go through them quick. First 17 verses, because I believe that they teach us how Paul went from Pharisee to apostle, how he went from a man who wanted to persecute Christians to a man now unashamed, proclaiming Jesus in Rome. Think about it. This was the most populated, most uh, civilized city, most anti-Christian city at the time. And Paul was saying to them, man, I am unashamed because the power of God, the gospel is the power of God to save all who believe. Again, first the Jew, then to the Gentile. So let's See how to live this unashamed life, knowing the gospel and being transformed by the gospel. Verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So right off the bat, he gives us his credentials. He's establishing the basis of his authority. He has been set apart to be sent out. Apostle means sent out to preach uh, the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, Christ our Lord. What he's saying here is that Jesus didn't just start in the New Testament. Jesus started in Genesis. Uh, we, we see the first thing we need to know. We need to know the, the power of the gospel. We need to know that it is from Genesis to Revelation, all about Jesus, from page one to amen in Revelation. It's all about the Son of God, this man named Jesus. Paul's talking about the Holy Scriptures. There, at that time, they didn't have any gospel written down yet. All the Holy Scriptures were at that time were the 39 books of the Old Testament that we have at the beginning of our Bible. So what he's saying is that the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim all talk about Jesus, all point to this Messiah that came 
to rescue. And, and it's important to know that the storyline of Scripture, again, you can be like, oh, I don't know, I'm not smart enough to understand the Bible. It's actually really simple. It's complex in detail, but it's simple in the story. There's four parts to the story. Number one, that there was a plan, and that that plan was God creating us in his image to be his uh, co-laborers and, and to reign with him here on earth, to take care of this earth. That was the plan, the problem. We just talked about it. Man and woman chose not to obey God, but to instead look to their own wisdom and, and follow their own instincts versus trust their creator. But God, <laughs> there is a solution. He came continually, faithfully, through kings, through prophets, through miracles in the Old Testament, and then ultimately as Jesus in the New Testament to rescue and restore, to save us from ourselves, to pay the price for our sins so that we can once again be in community with him. That's solution. But then there's one more because we're still in tension here on earth. Jesus will come back. And he will make all things new. He will restore all things once and for all and bring heaven down to earth. So we have the plan, that's creation, the problem of sin, the solution that is salvation in God's faithfulness, and then ultimate restoration. That's the storyline of Scripture. Uh, this week I was reading in the book of Exodus, and something just popped out and I thought it was for me and it was for a while and now I want to share it with you because it has to do with what we're talking about right in the beginning of the book of Exodus. And here's why it's important to know the gospel because the gospel knows us. God knows us. And right at the beginning of Exodus, it says that the people were enslaved in Egypt. They were, they were under a lot of affliction, a lot of persecution. In this verse, Exodus 2.25 says that God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He didn't just know, as in like, I know you're going through a hard time, but, but he knew in his heart. He felt their pain. He saw their affliction, and he, he was led, we talked about this last week, to compassion for them. And so the next chapter, he chooses this man, Moses, who was the first of many, many prophets. And he says, this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. That promise was for them. He did just that, right? Let my people go. They came out, but that promise is still for us. He sees us today. He knows our suffering. In fact, he knows them so well that he went ahead and, and took our burdens on a cross and he died for them. And then he's also promising us to bring us out of this broken world and promises us everlasting life. Is that good news or what? That's good news for us right here in this moment. God sees us and he knows us. Do we know him in the same way that he knows us. That Hebrew word yada is a beautiful, intimate expression of knowing, not just knowing information, but knowing personally. Let's keep reading. Uh, now, as we talk about transformation through him, now we're going back to Romans chapter one, verse five. 
Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called, keyword here, to belong, to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's calling them out. He's saying, you are loved by God and you're, you're called to be my holy people. And that's what we need to know. Uh, we need to how to live unashamed. Let's know what the gospel is and then let's be transformed by the gospel. We're loved by God and called to be his holy people. Anytime I have gone to a Texas A&M game, which is about three times, and one time I went with Taylor's grandpa, class of 60, I mean, awesome experience. I screamed, there were two of, two of them uh, classmates, and I screamed, and they were grateful that I screamed for them both. So that was my job, was, was really decibel count at, at the game. So I did my job, but I'll tell you what I didn't do. I couldn't wear the t-shirt. I didn't get accepted. I'm working on becoming a more proud Texas State Bobcat. And, and we're, we're, we're the rising start. We're rising right now. We're rising right now. Texas State's on the up and up. New football coach, we're going places. Come on, declaring it, declaring it. <laughs> we're going places. I want to be proud for my, for my Bobcats. So, so I can't wear it because I just don't belong. And I think one of the reasons why we're unashamed of God is because we believe that we don't belong. We believe that we don't belong because we're not good enough, because we haven't earned it, because we haven't done enough for God. Man, when we know God and we allow his love to transform our lives, we recognize that there's no way that we can earn our way to belong. We just have to accept it. We have to recognize these verses when Paul is saying that, that he, that to the church in Rome, God loves you and he has called you to be his holy people. Holiness is not easy. Holiness is to be perfect like, like Jesus was perfect. Holiness means looking different than the world. In Romans 12, we'll talk about the difference between conforming to the patterns of the world and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, so loved by God and, and we're called to be his holy people. This morning, I want to say to us, we, we belong because of Jesus. He paid the price for us. We can wear that logo proudly. We, we can lift up the name of Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. He has done all of that for us. Verse 8, I'm going to read all the way through 17, and then I'll close with one last, uh, one last point. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I love how Paul writes about his love. Because your faith is being reported all over the world, they've done good, this church in Rome. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So Paul wanted to go through Romans on his way to Spain. Verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I told her 
uh, ministry uh, partners over in Mexico, that I was going to come soon, that I was going to talk to them soon. Y'all, I, I didn't, not because I didn't want to, but because I was busy cutting down limbs and stuff. You know, Sometimes we tell people, yeah, we'll hang out. I'll see you later. And then what happens? Months go by and we don't follow through. Paul's not doing this here. He's saying, I, I love you and I long to be with you, which is just a beautiful picture, again, of the family of faith, this body of Christ, the church, finishing in 14. I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's uneducated uh, would be the foolish. It's, it's not a judgment on any one person. He's just talking about different uh, classes, uneducated, uncivilized folks. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And then our theme verse for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the, a righteousness that is by faith and from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here's the last point, the power of God to rescue and restore. It makes us righteous. One author Put it this way. Let me uh, find righteousness that is being revealed to us so that we may become his righteousness. Here's what I want to close with. Second Corinthians, actually two verses. Second, two, Second Corinthians 521 says, for our sake, he, Jesus, made sin, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As the worship team comes back up and we close in, in, in worship, I want to ask what we may be ashamed of. What may be holding us back from, from running to the feet of Jesus and, and being unashamed personally or publicly? What may be holding us back from making that next step to celebrate a baptism out there so that we can all rejoice what God is doing or finally break that addiction that has been holding us captive. This morning, we have an opportunity to turn to God and say, Lord, I, I am ready. And, and here's the last verse that I want to close with, because Paul knew what, it, what that was like. He wasn't just this mighty man who had all things figured out. Later in Romans 7, he says this after he says, I do what I do not want to do and what I hate, I do. He says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's turn to him and ask him to deliver us before we go out there this morning. If you're willing and able, please stand with me. There will be prayer available here to my left and to my right. If you want to pray with anybody, know that you can do that. Lord, we're grateful for your truth that we sorely need in our lives that this world also needs. So I pray that this morning we would know the power of the gospel and that we would be transformed by it in a fresh way, maybe a new way. We're grateful for your word. It is true throughout the generations. We can hold to it. We thank you for the way that it cuts our heart, even though that may be.